In the California Road Trip Republic, we believe you take adventure for a ride. Whether coastal cruising, mountain motoring, or redwood roaming, discover beauty around every turn. Your California road trip can kick off from anywhere. Starting route. But it should always start at visitcalifornia.com. Then buckle up, crank those tunes, and ride with us in the California Road Trip Republic. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young. This is usually when I tell you that I'm joined as always by Pete Ball, but Pete is away this weekend. And so we've got a a special guest helping me out today. I'm joined today by Niv Shah. Uh, For those who don't know, Niv is the creator of Auto New. He runs Auto New. He is is Auto New. Auto New exists solely by the grace of Niv Shah. Oh man, all right. Um, So he is also a, a good friend of mine. I've known Niv since we were in high school. Uh, he is my co-manager in Auto New League 13, my competitor in Auto New League 1. Uh, but Niv, thanks for thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. I'm happy to be here. Try to fill yeah, in for uh, Pete. Yeah, it's big shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, Pete Pete had to fill in, had to replace me for a week, a few weeks ago while I was out of town. So it's only fair that he gets a week off as well, I guess. But we're... Uh, We're getting close to the end of the season here, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to manage your your keeper teams for the stretch run and some decisions that you may need to make. We're going to do that through the eye of the the team that I said Niv and I co-manage. We're going to look a little bit at like, what are we doing with that team? How are we thinking about things? We've got some decisions to make, so we'll try to make those live on the show. Uh, But before we get to that, this is episode 114. That means we're looking at jersey number 14. And I, I warned Niv ahead of time that I was going to make a call out of this guy. But if you, if you go look at the, the leaders with the number 14, you know, Willie Mays wore for one season, Ricky Henderson for one. But like Pete Rose and Ernie Banks really stand out as the guys who are sort of associated with that number who wore it the longest. However, those guys played for 19 years and 24 years. There's a guy who only got 11 years in the majors. Part of the reason he only got 11 years in the majors is because of things outside of his control. It's Larry Doby. Larry Doby is the guy who broke the color barrier in the American League just shortly after Jackie Robinson did it in the National League. Doby is a guy who, my opinion, does not get nearly the, the credit and recognition he deserves. Um, I think one of the things people forget when you watch baseball today is that 
you know, in, in 47, when he broke the AL color barrier, the, the then Cleveland Indians were not going to the same stadiums that the Brooklyn, the then Brooklyn Dodgers were going to, which means that he was not following in Robinson's footsteps in any sort of literal way, right? Every time he went to a ballpark, he was the first black player to step foot on that field every time, right? Every time he faced a new fan base, he was the one who had to face, you know, we hear all the time about the the vitriol and the the, the challenges that, that Robinson faced and like Dobie did it all too. And he didn't do it. He did it second kind of, but he didn't really do it second because nobody really went before him. Dobie was also, I believe, the first black player to play in a World Series. He played on the 48 World Series team for for Cleveland, the last win of a World Series for mm. Cleveland. This makes me very sad. N- Niv and I, for those of you who don't know, we did go to high school in Cleveland. We are both Cleveland fans. And so, you know, not a fun topic. Mm. Um Dobie, the, Satchel Page was also on that team, but I believe Dobie was on, like, started game one and Page, I don't think, did. So Dobie would have been the guy to, to break that barrier. But yeah, I, so for me, if it's a number 14 episode, it's a Larry Dobie episode. I've got a Larry Dobie throwback 48 jersey that I, that is my my go-to Cleveland jersey when I go to Guardians games. So he's the guy who would get the credit for me. I'm still waiting for... MLB to, to do what I think is the right thing and allow the guardians have apparently asked multiple times to be allowed to wear number 14 on the anniversary of the day that Larry Doby broke the AL color barrier. And they've been told no. And that is just mind boggling to me. Why MLB would make that decision. Like doing it for Jackie Robinson has been so successful at, at raising right. visibility for what he went through and everything. And Doby deserves it. So I don't know. I don't know if anybody in the MLB offices is listening to this episode or here's <laughs> what I think. But if you do, next year has another chance to right that wrong and and to to do more for Dobie. This you know, last year really, last year was the 75th anniversary. It would have been the perfect time to do it, but the 77th anniversary is still better than never. So that's right. So Niv, anyone else you want to mention with number 14? I sort of took um, me out of the room with that. <laughs> well, you you nailed you nailed a bunch of the big names, and yeah, the Larry Doby stuff is obviously hard to follow. Totally agree with you about that stuff all the way down. Um, I was just going through. I'll just name someone really random on the list. I could, I mean, I could call out a lot of these different players for different personal interests, but I was going through this list here, and I found Ruben Sierra down here for the Blue Jays, which is a team that I don't remember him playing for at all. And Ruben Sierra played baseball probably when we were in middle school, elementary school, middle school, and probably retired towards when we were in high school together. So that, that guy, I just remember his swing as being like one of the, like that guy was way ahead of his time. Cause he was like pure power had basically no batting average skill at all. And I just remember him being like very exciting as a young player because people are like, like, you know, he, he lift, he had that leg lift. He had like a really fun, like fast bat and then just never was able to like get it together, you know, injuries and everything. But I'll mention him because that is just a completely random. I don't know if you would give me 10 guesses. I would have guessed that he played for the Blue Jays in 97 and apparently he wore number 14 that year. So yeah, he, he played part of the reason you can't remember that is he played all of 14 games. Oh, that's a good Jays number for that. He, uh, he also played 25 games for the Reds that year. That was one of the years that he he dealt with injuries, clearly. Yeah, Sierra, sort of a... Like when we're like in 89, 
And like in yeah, 89, yeah. he was second in the MVP. Like he was a great player yeah. for a little while. Yes. And I had the same thought you did about him being a guy who like played when we were in, you know, middle school and into high school and then retired. He played for like 20 years. He came <laughs> up in 1986 and retired in 2006. That, that is a much longer window than I expected. Yeah. Honestly. Totally unexpected. Yeah. Um, he also only wore number 14 for one season. So just sort of, such a random guy to come up here. But yeah. Fun, I had to go random, pretty. Chad, because you went with, you know, Larry yeah, Doby. Fair enough. So fair I, enough. I'm not going to try to follow that. So with that, let's uh, let's get into the the topic for the week. And as I said, you know, we're getting into the, the stretch run and, and that could mean playoffs for head to head leagues. It could mean the final month of the season for season long leagues. It also could mean that you're, you know, out of it and just trying to figure out how to get yourself ready for next year. But we're going to start this off by talking a little bit about League 13. So I think it's a pretty good illustration of a number of things that other managers are probably dealing with right now. So Niv and I, League 13, it is an auto new Fangraphs points head to head league. This is a league that way back in February when we auctioned, I literally wrote an article about how badly we messed up the auction, how unhappy <laughs> we sort of were with how things went. And in a league with... This is a league. There's three divisions. Three division winners all make the playoffs, and there's three wild cards. We won our division. We also finished. We actually finished fourth in total points. No, I don't think we finished fourth in total. No, we did. We finished fourth in total points, um, which means we even if we hadn't won our division, we still were going to be a playoff team, which is great. Uh, it's good. It's good to know that we we were better than we thought. Uh, we now have a buy through the first round by virtue of having the second best record among the division winners, actually third best record overall. And so we're just waiting to see who we play next. But we're trying to figure out how to set our set our roster. And we're dealing with a couple of, of issues. And I, I, what I want to sort of do today is talk a little bit about how we're thinking about those issues, how that might help you think about similar issues in your teams. The two issues we're primarily dealing with here are we are thin at middle infield. Um, and, and that article, Niv, if you remember the article I wrote back in February was like, we really should have gotten Xander Bogarts and Francisco Lindor. Right. And right. here we are in September and we still haven't really solved our middle infield issues. So one of the reasons that we went in with that strategy is because it's hard to solve middle infield after the initial yeah. after the initial auction. And uh, that has proven to be true. <laughs> like that's yeah. just... We've we've struggled with it pretty much all year, right? Like we've been Yeah. No, we've we've had uh I mean, we have a pretty good starting middle infield. So we have Spencer Steer, Itzak Paredes, and Nico Horner. All three of them have been very good. The other two middle infielders, the other two major league middle infielders on our roster are Michael Massey and Geraldo Perdomo, who have been uh, Perdomo started off pretty well, which is why we picked him up when we did, but he's been very bad lately. Massey has, you know, had moments this year, but that's about it. We also had a $12 Vaughn Grissom that I feel like all season I was like, at some point Grissom's going to help us out a lot. Right. And Atlanta has just. Vaughn I mean, Grissom is like a great place for us to start this conversation because yeah. even a week ago before the trade deadline, Vaughn Grissom had. Even a $12 Von Grissom had some sort of value, and the Braves never brought him up, And it, which, you know, it is what it is. Um, Atlanta is doing fine, so they have to make the right decisions. It's not like Atlanta's sitting here without a 
without a chance of the playoffs or whatever. They're like the best team in baseball. But that value has changed so much over the course of the year that we went from this is a really great piece for our team to I guess he's the first guy out the door. Like, I don't know, like what as we're trying to resituate for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. Like when we were looking at the trade deadline, we were getting I wouldn't say like strong interest in him per se, but there were people who were like, oh, I, I can sort of see kicking the tires on Von Grissom. And then everyone was like, eh, at $12, like we, we reached a point where a $12 Grissom would be $14 next year. A, a week ago, a month ago, it felt like there was a chance he could still be worth that. And as a keeper for next year, because I mean, keep in mind, Grissom in AAA this year, and it's not like he's old. He's 22. Right. Right. So he's, he's still, he'll be 23 in January. He's still a, a perfectly reasonable age for AAA. For how much he's matching AAA. And he's got a, he's, he's at 7.43 points per game in AAA. For those of you who don't play auto new and are looking in for other formats, that is a 135 WRC plus. He's he's crushing AAA as a middle infielder, right? He has shortstop and second base eligibility. I think he is lined up. Yes, he is lined up to keep both shortstop and second base next year. He has been up, I think, twice or maybe three times for Atlanta this year. Uh, as recently as two weeks ago, he was on their roster. And this is when we we're getting trade interest in him was he was up and they weren't playing him. Between right. he played one game on the ninth August nineteenth, one on the twentieth. Then, but those were one plate appearance apiece. He went zero for one. Then he got two starts in three days, the twenty first and the twenty third, and he went three for eight. He had a double and a triple in those three plate in those eight plate appearances. Right, so single, a double, a triple, and eight plate appearances, and then went back down, and that was it. And so it's like, it's very clear that Atlanta is just not going to give him a shot this year. Maybe ever. Like, I don't know if they shop him this offseason. I don't know what the situation is with him, but like, they clearly are not willing to give him a shot. And at that point, it's like, I think where we're getting trade interest is he had those two really good games. And you think, okay, if he takes over as, the, as you know, a middle infielder on the team, the shortstop, right? Because he's not replacing Albies. But if he takes over at shortstop the rest of the way, or even plays as utility guy the rest of the way and plays four, five, six out of every seven games and puts up the kind of numbers we think he can put up offensively, then you could keep him for $14 next year, expecting him to be a close to full-time player and putting up the kind of stats he's capable of. The fact that they sent him down again, it was just like, I, you, you can't keep him. There's no way you could keep him at $14 because he hasn't had a chance to show what he can do. And so like his roster percentage, I mean, it's interesting. You look, you know, Otto New has this great feature uh, that shows you a player's change in their roster percentage over the last seven and last 30 days. Over the last 30 days, his roster percentage is up 4.17%. Over the last seven days, it's down 4.48%. It's down to about 71.2%. And it's going to drop as the season goes on. And I, I think what you're seeing is over the last month, there was some hope that he would really establish himself as part of the future in Atlanta. And instead, he's sort of done the opposite just because they won't give him the time of day. Or at least the present, right? It doesn't seem like he's going to yeah. play ahead of, like, they're just not going to get rid of Orlando Arcia or whoever they're playing at 
short right now. Arcia, and I think Nikki Lopez is still getting some time as well. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I, I feel like he's a pretty interesting case. Like we tried to get younger and cheaper in the off season. We traded Mookie Betts uh, for, for Von Grissom back in January. That was ahead of our draft and everything. And obviously ahead of uh, Betts gaining shortstop and becoming like whatever he's become. So I feel like, you know, we had a vision for Von Grissom that just has not aligned with how the Braves want to use him. And I think he's going to be a great $6 pickup in the auction for someone next year. But he has just completely changed. And again, as we're situating for our stretch run in head-to-head in auto new, we don't have game caps. So you really want to be able to have depth such that each lineup spot is filled every day. It's not going to be necessarily the best player every day, but there's no reason not to play players in points formats uh, in head-to-head, right? So we need someone who's going to play. And one of the things Chad and I were talking about a little bit is, you know, we have 40-man rosters in AutoNew, and how many of those rosters need to be productive roster spots? But then also at the same time, how many players do we need in each position? And when you're looking ahead to our playoff matchup next week, uh, regardless of who we play, we are, I think, next Thursday stuck without a third middle infielder, right? Yeah, I think we have, I'm trying to think, I think we do have an option. And this this is part of the, the debate we were having was, so next Monday, we have, you know, like I said, we've got Paredes, Horner, and Steer as our starters. On Monday, the, what is that, the 11th, two of those guys play, but I think it's Steer who has the day off. I'm just pulling it up right now. Yes, Steer has a day off. However, Michael Massey's playing that day. He is playing in Chicago at Guaranteed Rate Field, or whatever they call it. And while Massey has not been good, he he has the ability to run into a ball every once in a while. And he's facing, as of right now, lined up to face Dylan Cease, who hasn't been very good in a very power-friendly park. And so there, there's, you know... You can look at that and be like, okay, yeah, we could repl- we, we could maybe see who's available as a free agent. But like, if we have to slot Massey in there and and take a shot that he's going to hit one out, eh, there's yeah. worse bets to take. There's worse bets to take. Certainly. But if I look ahead to Thursday the 14th, on that day, Steer is back because, you know, he was off Monday, so he's not off Thursday. But Horner is out. And Massey is not playing. And Geraldo Perdomo is lined up to face the Mets in New York. Like, that's not nearly as sort of intriguing a a bet to take. And so you start to look at like, okay, well, who's out there as free agents? And this is where things get get ugly. So if I look at, let's see if I can pull this up real quick. If I look at middle infielders who are... I'm going to start not even by worrying about free agents in this league because I want to look more generally to, to things that might help others as well. I'm looking at middle infielders who are less than 75% rostered and ideally, let's see if I get this working, and have had more than 50 plate appearances this year just so I can, you know, reasonable sample size of they're, they've played. If I look at that audience and I sort by points per game, the best middle infielder, who is less than 75% rostered has, has 50 plate appearances this year is DJ LeMahieu at 4.24 points per game, which is 
only barely better than what Perdomo's been doing. Now, LeMahieu's been good lately. And the next guy on this list, Luis Renjifo, has also been good lately. And so if you're in a league where you need a middle infielder, like those two guys are as good a bet as any. They both qualify at multiple positions. Renjifo is both second and short as well as third and outfield. LeMahieu first, second, and third. They've been good lately. But for this league, <laughs> neither of those guys are available. The next two guys aren't available. The There's literally one player who is a free agent and under 70% rostered. It's a little bit of a weird way to look at it, but there's what there's one guy who's a free agent on this list who is over four points per game this year in 50-plus plate appearances, and that is Donovan Solano. And so we're sort of in a spot where, like, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know who we go out and pick up because there just aren't good options. Right. Um, and the and the mere fact that we're spending $12, like a percentage of our, a, a meaningful percentage of our available cap on a guy who didn't make expanded rosters for the Braves. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just brutal. It, uh, we, we got burned on that, on that sort of bet over the course of the year. Um, yeah. But yeah, we have to look and we have to believe that we can beat Perdomo, beat a outing from Perdomo. And the way these games play, like four at-bats matter. Like it's crazy. Like in a week, like four at-bats can really make a difference between winning handily and, and having like a, a, a tight race or losing. Yeah. Now the, the challenge though also is, and this is where, you know, we, we started talking earlier about how you use your 40 roster spots. And that's become a really popular topic in auto new over the last couple of years with the introduction of the auto new prestige league. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's sort of a, uh, it's a best ball competition that takes place over the course of the season. You enter a team and it's, it's an entry separate from the league you're already in. Uh, I would suggest looking up the auto new prestige league to get more information. Cause we're not going to dive deep on that right now, but in a best ball format, Using every spot on your roster really matters because the reality is like using Solano since he's a free agent versus versus Perdomo. If you had those two guys in your roster, like who is going to be better on any given day is hard to know. But every day, one of them will be better than the other. And there's a good chance that fairly often one of them will be better than our starters. Right. There will, there will be a lot of days where one of those guys outperforms Steer, Paredes and or Horner. However, there are very, very few days in which I'm going to bet on one of them doing that, which means that you're going to be starting other guys anyways. And so you're, we're really looking at you know that one game next Thursday, and maybe there's a day, maybe Steer gets a day off, maybe Paredes gets a day off, maybe Horner gets a day off, right? Like you never know when you might need someone to slot in. But even when that happens, you have to balance how like how you use that roster spot with how strongly you believe Solano or looking at the other free agents here, like Mauricio Dubon, Ahmed Rosario, Chris Taylor, Taylor Walls, like how, how strongly do we feel that those guys are a better bet for a single game to be better than Perdomo? And I don't know. I, it's, it's all sort of a, a difficult choice to make. Yeah, and I don't really see a lot of other names I'm excited about. One of the things that's interesting is just that this feels like it's at the margins, but like, again, I'm going back to this point. It just seems like 
a really marginal decision that in a one week playoff head to head game can swing the week. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that makes the playoffs like, I think both horrific and also excellent, right? Like it's a really high variance thing, you know, any once it's just like major league baseball playoffs. You just want to get in the door. Having fewer games is better because it's less chances of getting eliminated basically, but it's a, it's a high variance game. And and the question that we were sort of grappling with earlier, Chad, right when we were talking, is on one hand, we do want to we, – we have isolated a couple days where we need to think about middle infield depth because of how the schedule plays out the week that we're looking. So we spent 30 minutes. We look at the schedule ahead. We're like, where are there going to be gaps where we don't have as many players as we do in other positions? We have good outfield. We have util and first base covered really well. So – then we start having a conversation of like, okay, well, do we want to take three different bets at middle infield or do we want to have start looking at players that, you know, we we also have the strategy aspect of having a lot of money. So do we want to start looking at players that we may want to add looking a little bit more ahead for assets in the offseason or or even pieces for next year, which is a crazy thing to think about in auto new and, or in general in fantasy in September, because you're either in the playoffs or you're, or you're not. And that sort of makes the decision for you on if you should be thinking ahead or thinking about today. But we happen to be in the playoffs in what I think is a relatively strong position, given what Chad outlined earlier, but we also have a good amount of money. And so we're, we're sort of trying to figure out a balance there. Chad just mentioned some of the free agents not a whole lot to be inspired by in middle infield. Probably going to have to take a bet on one of them. But is it a place where we want to take a bet on two two or three and clear up some of the guys, like some injured relief pitchers and other guys that we're just not going to run out there like Vaughn Grissom? Or do we start looking at guys like Dylan Cruz that are just now going up for auction now that people are eliminated from the regular season in our league? Yeah, so... Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about that that future-focused decision-making because uh, I think there's some interesting debates to have around that. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. So as we were going to break, Niv mentioned, you know, this question of like, should we be looking at Dylan Cruz and, and Cruz? is up for auction now. Um, he never went up for auction previously in this league. Uh, he has, you know, he sort of tore through a ball and is now in double A where he's been struggling for all of 10 games. And, you know, I'm not super worried about him. He is, he is an elite prospect. Uh, 
um, from everything I can see. But we have this interesting debate of like, do we want to go after Dylan Cruz? And no, obviously Dylan Cruz not going to help us this year. I think we can all, all be confident that that's the case. Like, do we go after him or do we want to go after a, a guy like, it's like we, you know, we talked about um, Donovan Solano as an option. The guy that I, I sort of noticed only because the Giants go to cores is Brandon Crawford as a free agent. Do, do you take a bet on Crawford that one day that we know we need him next Thursday, he has a game at cores that he's almost assuredly going to start? Is that a better bet to make? And I think we're we're going sort of back and forth on what's the best use of a handful of dollars right now? Is it, you know, is it trying to get whatever the marginal difference is between starting Crawford and starting Perdomo next Thursday? Or is it trying to grab a guy like Cruz and have him ready for next year? Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're going back and forth about that today. And I think it's sort of like perfectly encapsulates what we wanted to talk about today because it's September and you just really have to start thinking about in both these ways. And one of the things Chad said to me that I thought was funny, but is like, you know, really worth saying explicitly is Chad said, Niv, I want to win this year. And like, that's really worth saying explicitly, I right? I do want to live, win this of year. Of course. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I want to win. And I think our team is in a position that it could win. Like, I don't think our team is wishful thinking when we look at things that way. And, you know, we had some conversations with other people in League 13 in the Fangraph Staff League that were in playoff position that did not feel the same kind of confidence or the same kind of, like, didn't feel that their team was capable of winning is I guess the best way of saying it. Right. And I don't know if like, that's a whole other question and that's where you have to be honest with yourself. And I think Chad and I have talked about that in multiple conversations. You have to really be plain about it. I think if you're in playoff position in a head to head league, there's very few players that are going to be better than going in with what you got that got you into that position. But at the same time, like I get it, you know, if you feel like my team barely squeaked into the playoffs, maybe you start, changing your resource allocation towards what helps you in December and January trade talks, what helps you in April of next year. For us, I think the only difference is we have money and having a winning team with still having like a good 10% of our cap free is a really weird place to be in. It's not really expected, but it's also a huge benefit, right? So for me, I think we should take advantage of that. I think if you're talking about a guy like Donovan Solano or who you say Crawford, right? Those guys yeah. are like not going to be more than three or four bucks in our league unless somebody is listening to this podcast and starts pumping up bids just because of what we're talking about. But a guy like Cruz or or Paul Skeens or uh, Wyatt Langford or any of the other like really promising guys from the draft or even other top 50 prospects that are available in our league because of the way head to head plays, those guys are going to be a little bit pricier to get. And from my perspective, since we do have the most money free, I would just like to make sure that those guys, whoever they go to have to cost a premium because like a guy like Cruz, he could be with a major league club next year. Uh, mm-hmm. Skeens 
might even pitch a week this year. Like when Skeens, well, they just shut him down. They just oh, shut they? Skeens they, down uh, for the season. Yeah, because they were like you know people were talking about like it could be a useful bullpen arm, but if they're shutting him down now, which makes sense given the workload that he's faced this year, he could be in the in the mix at very early next year, right? Yeah, for like sure. these these aren't guys that are two years away, three years away, and they seem to be even less speculative than Vaughn Grissom who went for $12 in our league, right? Like Von Grissom isn't $12 by mistake. Von Grissom uh, was, that's the market value. That was the market value for Von Grissom in the off season. So for me, I would like to see us use that money at least to push those prices into a premium place so that um, people don't feel like they have massive surplus value with a guy like Cruz who starts playing outfield for the Nats in May next year. Um, yeah. At the same time, I want to win. So how do you how do you balance those? Yeah, and I think that's the 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 challenge. We're gonna have to sort of wrestle with it. It's gonna be an ongoing thing. I think right now, I think what we're looking at at, the, at this precise moment is the options for us at middle infield are just not exciting. There just right. aren't good options out there. And the reality is, if we're gonna go with a bad option we've got bad options on our roster already. We don't need to go out and buy Acquire a, a bad, option. bad option. And so with roster spots that, that we have free and we don't, we don't, you know, we don't technically have a free roster spot right now, but we have guys like, like Seth Brown has not been good and is basically never in our lineup. Grissom, as we talked about, like he doesn't need to stick around anymore. We have Jojo Romero, who's now on the IL sort of waiting for an update to figure out how long he's going to be out because he's been a really good reliever, but if he's hurt and he's not going to help us in the playoffs, I like, I don't need to sit on him. We've got some guys that we could, we could cut loose and those guys we can cut loose right now. We don't really have a big need other than maybe another starting pitcher. We we've got, we, we made a trade late in the season, right at the trade deadline for Julio Urias, who now, Appears to be done for the year, I guess. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but not traveling um, with the team anymore. So, right. So, I, I think we're likely to be able to cut him, but that also means we need to find a way to fill those innings. But right now, we just we don't have any huge needs. And so, making those cuts to use them for a, a guy like Cruz or, or some other prospects, I want to talk about some other prospect names uh, in, a, in a minute as well, I think makes a lot of sense. But the other advantage that cash gives us is especially in head-to-head leagues where you've got these direct matchups, there's going to be moments over the next couple of weeks and hopefully you know through the finals for us where we need a starting pitcher. We're short a starter. We need somebody who's starting over the weekend in order to hit our nine games started. And using that money to make like a $20 bid or something crazy on a starting pitcher who has the best option for us on a Saturday could be worth it. Because you need to find a way to fill those starts. That money could also be really useful to do something like block another team who needs a starting pitcher, right? If we find out that our opponent is, you know, one start short this week, any starting pitcher I see go up for auction, I'm putting a big bid on and we're we're doing what we can to stop them or force them to make a an aggressive bid at the very least and, and make an aggressive cut to to get that player onto their team. So there are times we're going to have to use that money. And, and the reality is like, let's say we bid on Cruz now, we get him whatever price, $6, $7, $8. The, 
we may find ourselves a week from now cutting him. Because a week from now, it may be that the the trade-off of going to get some piece to help us win now is better than it is today. Because right now, the trade-off of going to get any of these middle infield guys is just, it's not worth it. I'd rather get Cruz. Now, speaking of Cruz, this league, Skeen's also a free agent. Wyatt Langford also a free agent. But in a lot of leagues, it's not true. A lot of leagues, the top prospects have been sort they of go, up. They go right away after they're signed, yeah. Yeah. And and when these guys went up for auction, when, when, when Cruz specifically went up for auction, Niv, you commented to me like, oh, I can't believe this guy's available. There really aren't any you know top prospects available. And I was like, I don't know. I think there are some other top prospects out there. And, and I think one of the reasons for that is there are there's so many prospect lists out there. There's there's millions of them. At this point in the season, anybody who is looking, if you're out of it, right? Whether you're actually shouldn't just say if you're out of it. If you're either not contending and looking to build for next year, or if you're just a team with some roster spots to play with and you want to start to think about next year, go out and find updated prospect lists. And what I mean by that is like the the list I've been mostly using over the last few days is Eric Cross of Fantasy Toolshed. He's got a Patreon. Um, I can't remember what his Patreon is. I'll look it up while, while I'm talking. Um, but Eric Cross put out a top 500, yes, top 500 prospect list on his Toolshed, on his Toolshed, on his Patreon, which is Toolshed Fantasy is the Patreon. So that's why I'm getting confused here. That is... Uh, that's a lot of prospects to list. It is it is more prospects than than you need for an auto new league. It is honestly more prospects than you need for most leagues. There are not that many leagues that you really need to go 500 prospects deep, but it is super awesome to have that list. It is also, I believe, a fantasy focused list, right? So this isn't your like, you know, we I've cited baseball prospectuses list before the board over at Fangraphs comes up a lot. Um, those are not necessarily fantasy specific, which means that they focus on things like how good a defender someone is that we maybe don't care about necessarily. Right? We only care about it so far as it it impacts what position the guy plays. Right. But if you go pull up this list, and I don't want to, I you know, Eric. Eric sells his content, and so I don't want to like give away his content. But like, there are some names near the top of his list that I have not seen near the top of a lot of other lists. And I'll give you one example, and that's Adel Amador, who's a shortstop in the Rocky system. He is, I think he's only like 19 years old. He is in double A, and the Rockies have recently shown with Tovar that they will promote their kids. They they were, you know, there was that whole period of time where it felt like Rocky's prospects were just all blocked. They were never getting called up. Like, why would you yeah, call up get, a prospect when you could sign a 40-year-old? They, they really reversed their philosophy there in like the most 180-degree way, it seems. Yeah. But if they're willing to call up Tovar to start this year, I don't think it's that hard to imagine that Amador could be up at some point next year, not to start the season. At this point, he has 18 plate appearances 
like literally just 18 plate appearances at double A. There have been very good plate appearances, but it's still just 18 plate appearances. But he is like, he has fairly consistently walked more than he has struck out in the minors. He flashes, I don't know if I would say good power, but good enough power. Um, the, you know, at fan graphs, they give him a, a 40 yeah, I mean, power, 30 game power, middle infield, 70 potential hit tool. Yeah, yeah. Middle infield power, right? I mean, it was right. the same thing we we're talking about with Von Grissom earlier. It's 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 good it's good numbers for your for your middle infield slot. Right. But I think a couple of things have changed with Amador in the last few months. One of those is he's up to 12 home runs in about 64, 63 games this year. That is a that is a pretty good power bat, right? You're talking about a guy who's now flashing 25-ish home run pace in the minors, right? Spread across three levels in the minors, mostly high A. But still, you're looking at 20 to 30 home run power over the course of a season instead of what I think a lot of what a lot of people thought was more like 15 to 20 home run power. Um, and so that's that's a that's a meaningful change. It's also he's also it's also part of the age curve, just real quick, Chad. Like mm-hmm. he's 20, and he's on his age 20 year, right? He's 19, yeah. turning 20. Uh Dylan Cruz is older than that. Wyatt Langford's older than that. These are guys like you have guys who have like who are closer to what their body type will look like in the majors, and you have guys who are international players who maybe have some uh who are just younger and have more physical development still to do. So showing that kind of power, uh, even at those levels, and again, Middle infielder showing that kind of power at the age 20 season. There's a lot of things to like about that. Right. Exactly. The other thing is that he played all of 54 games in high A, and then the Rockies moved him up to double A. And so he's flashing this better power. He's continuing to show really good plate discipline. And now the Rockies are signaling that they're willing to move quickly with him like they did with Tovar. And so to me, his prospect star is very, very much on the rise. And so I've been trying to grab him where I can. And the reason, part of what I'm, what I'm seeing with a guy like Amador right now is I think that in the offseason, when a lot of these less responsive lists get updated, right? You don't have, not everybody is doing what, what Eric's doing and sort of regularly updating, but like, I've picked up a couple shares of this guy already, and I sort of think I'm going to try to grab a few more before the season's over because I think that in December, January, February, as these lists come out, his his value is going to be up and up potentially a lot. And so now to me is the time to go out and get him. And I think you can do that if you look at these lists. Another guy who I've seen popping up more and more on lists is Chase DeLauder. He's a, a Cleveland prospect. And he's had he's had some injury issues that have slowed him down. But honestly, like the way he's hitting right now, he should be up for Cleveland next year. Not to start the season, but at some point next year. And again, because he started the year hurt, because he didn't have a long track record, and because a lot of the lists are, I think, outdated on him. His value is probably lower than it should be. I don't think he's viewed as a universal top 50 prospect, and I think he is that good. And so and go your, out there, find lists that have been updated, and take advantage of that. To your point, too, it's it's really, you know, it's the same kind of thinking, and, you know, just not to not to beat this thing to death, but uh, 
we thought Von Grissom would be this kind of guy, but you have to think about it in terms of your fantasy team of you don't really want to be holding a guy for two years. You want to, you don't want to yeah. be waiting for two, three years and like absorbing all that risk and absorbing all those market fluctuations to them, right? Like that's the challenge. And so then when we're looking at say, maybe, maybe Chad and I go back and forth in league 13 and we say, we have three, three and a half roster spots to play with when we start naming guys that we'd like to cut and guys we'd like to replace. And we're like, well, we'd like to see one more reliever on the team and we'd really like to get a middle infielder. So we probably have one good prospect spot there. Given our money situation, maybe we go for someone flashy like Dylan Cruz. But given the overall like view and, and you know, like Chad said, if we grab someone like Cruz and he ends up costing 12 bucks, he might be right back in the pool in two weeks just because we need to make a blocking move. If we can get someone else on that list or someone else on like one of these more updated lists that is compelling for two or three dollars that's someone that is more likely to be held even while we make other kinds of blocking moves you know and and you know chad and i used to play a lot of poker this is definitely what you do when you have the big stack of the table you make sure everyone pays a little bit of a tax on this and so if we're stuck you know with holding holding uh, the winning bid on someone that we don't necessarily want, a starting pitcher we don't really need, just because we're trying to block them from our opponent, we have to like consider all these different moving pieces as we're going. And one of the benefits of, or one of the things that might be beneficial for us is to find someone that's more like a 2 or $3 prospect instead of someone that's going to be, you know, a $10 prospect who just hit 12 home runs in a week in Omaha or whatever, you know? So it's like just getting a little bit under the radar there might be really valuable to us. Yeah. And I think you're right that those, I think you're right that those cheaper guys, like that's where you get long-term value or potential long-term value. And that's why I really like these updated lists because I think if you can get a guy for two or $3 now, and then by January, some lists have been updated and people are like, Oh, this guy's a top 15 prospect. I should have paid eight dollars for him, but I didn't. Then you get some decisions to make. Do I trade him? Do I cat? You know, do I do we cash him in via trade? Do we hold him? But like, you've you've got a you've got a a a piece on your team that is low price and high value, and that's that's what you're looking for. And so, there's also one of these I, things where since we are we're obviously a competitive team, if you're not competitive, you may want to just get someone at market value that is immediately impactful like a Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford, someone that's big name, well-known, and a clear path to the majors. A, a high upside, low-cost prospect fits in better with maybe trying to make the final piece trade next year or hopefully building building a repeat team, that which is our goal, right? So it's just a question of figuring out um, what your team, uh, how your team can manage with those pieces uh, Dylan Cruz is probably worth less to us than a team that's not in the playoffs right now. But the kinds of prospects that Jed's talking about um, are probably worth the same to everyone in our league, which means that since we're you know sitting here with a big pile of money and a competitive team, we have a better chance of getting those cheaper guys. Yeah. So we're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to start talking about some guys who are under, let's call it 70% rostered, 75% rostered, something like that, and out of new who are intriguing either because of what they can do for you right now or because of what they might be able to do for you in the future. All right, welcome back. As mentioned, we're going to start to dive into 
some players you should be looking at. And we're going to try to look at both guys who are interesting for right now, who might be able to help you win a championship by, you know, getting you a few more bats in the outfield, getting you a few more innings pitched, whatever it is, but also players who, if you're either not contending or as, as Niv and I have been talking about with our, our team in league 13, if you're looking to balance the present day and the future guys who, whether or not they help you today may have some, some long-term value and, Niv, I'll start with you. Are there any guys you want to, anyone you want to start with? Anyone you think is particularly interesting who's out there? Yeah, I want to talk about a guy that you and I have debated a little bit at length uh, about. Uh, you know, he's been he's been on our cut section of the roster organizer, and he's been right in our rotation. He's been on the bullpen, and that's Nick Pavetta, who is in auto new roster uh, right around sixty six percent, sixty six point three. We he is an uninspiring starting pitcher. Uh, he is a dime a dozen starting pitcher. He's available. There he's a replacement level starting pitcher in Auto New. He's not starting though. He's relieving. He's uh, coming in as a bulk follower and getting those points out of the bullpen in some sort of predictable fashion, especially in Auto New, is just absolutely valuable and absolutely it could be a entire matchup changer. Like not just not just a single day, but can flip an entire matchup. And Chad and I have been talking about him because you look at his overall numbers and you're like, this guy is frustrating, but you understand what the Red Sox are doing, which is like, he's a guy where you don't have to face the top three or four hitters on the other team. And he gets to come in and maybe do a second time through the order with that lineup, with whatever lineup they're facing and gets four innings in, you know, he's going to pitch, which is a huge value for a follower right out of the, out of your relievers. Uh, otherwise, you're just sort of beholden to managerial decisions, and we've we've held on to him despite multiple times sort of being like, man, we could use that roster spot. And the reason we've held on to him is just he can flip a head-to-head game. So it is a little specific to auto new head-to-head or auto new fantasy points, but I think it's I think Nick Pavetta is a guy that we gotta you know acknowledge at least. Yeah, and it's it's not just. Had dead points. It's it's really it's any format, whether it's auto new or elsewhere, where starts are limited in some ways, but innings matter. If that makes sense. And so what what makes him such a good fit for us in this head to head league is we get nine starts per week, right? You have we have five relief pitcher spots, five starting pitcher spots, just like any auto new league, but we can only start nine pitchers over the course of the week. And Pavetta, I mean, his last. 10 appearances, he's made three starts. And of those three starts, only one has been particularly good for our league. He had a 36.2 point start back on July 25th. That was, sorry, a 36.67 point start on July 31st. The 25th was a relief appearance. And that was great. Then he made consecutive starts on August 9th and August 15th. The one on August 9th was 12 points. The one on the 15th was 24.07. 24.07 isn't a bad start. It's not It's not great, but it's not bad. You'll you'll take that. Yeah. Um, and I'm specifically mentioning points and not points per inning because with a nine start cap, I don't care if my starting pitcher gives me 30 points over nine innings or 30 points over four innings. 30 points is 30 points. And so if you play in, like I play in a... It's actually not even a head-to-head league. It is a roto league, a roto keeper league. It's one of the fan graphs, so one of the uh, keeper cut listener leagues where I am trying to make up ground 
in innings pitched, which is a category, and in strikeouts. Pavetta doesn't necessarily have to be great for me to be more useful than a reliever because I can slot him into a relief pitcher's spot and he will get me more innings and likely more strikeouts than a relief pitcher will in that same spot. And it doesn't matter if they're high quality innings or not. And that's the same thing we're looking at here. We're like, you know, his last four appearances for uh, have been out of the bullpen. We've gotten all of these on our our head to head team that's that, that you know was making its drive for the playoffs over that stretch. And in those four appearances, he went five innings and got seventeen point six points. That's a pretty bad point printing pitch. It's terrible for a reliever, but it doesn't matter. Because as like for a single relief outing, that's great. He went two thirds of an inning in his next one and got five point nine three points. It was actually pretty good on a points printing pitch basis, but only okay on a total points basis, even for one relief appearance. Then he went two innings and got four point four points. And again, that's really bad on a point printing pitch basis, right? That's a, that's a that's a poor appearance for it, Rumit. He went two innings, gave up four runs, four hits, walked two, had three strikeouts. But for us. He got us 4.4 points that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And so it's fine. It's not great. It doesn't help a ton, but it helps. And then he went three innings, 19.7 points. That's that's just a good outing no matter what. But it'd be really bad for us as a start because 19.7 points over three innings is not as good as even 20 points over six innings from a starter in that format. So this is a case where knowing your format, understanding the rules. But if you're in a situation where you're limited in the number of starting pitchers you can use, and volume from your pitching matters. Pavetta is a really, really useful piece who I think is undervalued right now. And like, even in Otto New, his roster percentage is down almost 10% over the last 30 days, down almost 5% over the last seven days. Like, people are bailing on him. And so he is available. And if you can go get him, again, in those formats where that, that volume out of your bullpen can be useful. I would go get him. I really like that. That's a that's a good call out. Another name that I'll mention since we're talking pitchers, I'm going to throw out a couple of pitchers who I think are probably more future value, but are kind of interesting short term. Um, one of them is Jordan Wicks, who is recently called up by the Cubs. He's made two starts. He's put up 55 points in 10 innings. That's pretty. Uh, his two starts have both been. He had a very good first start and a solid second start. We'll see where it goes from here. He's got a start, it looks like, against the Giants coming up next. That should be a pretty favorable matchup for him. And, and Wicks is, you know, his minor league numbers are not super inspiring. He's not a he is not a top prospect, right? He's not a guy who's going to be a, a game changer for you. He's he had a 4.22 FIP in AAA, right? But he looks kind of solid. Like he's not, he is not going to be your next ace, but could he be a mid rotation kind of guy? I think he might be able to, he's getting decent strikeout numbers. The walks are high, but not too bad. He, he runs pretty solid ground ball rates. He hasn't really run those high ground ball rates in his couple of major league starts, but in triple a this year, he had a 47.2% ground ball rate. His last time in triple a or his last stop in double a, it was 40.4%, but before that 47.8%. 45.5%. So like he's consistently run pretty good ground ball rates. Like that that's all valuable and all useful. I I think he's a really interesting bet if you are 
in need of innings right now, he might be able to help you out. But I think the bigger in- interest for him, for me in keeper leagues, is like, does he make three, four, five good starts down the stretch, establish himself as a piece of this rotation for the future, and become a keeper for you? And I think there's a possibility in your deeper keeper formats, in an auto new, in a league where you're keeping nine, 10, 12 type guys, that could happen. The other pitcher I want to talk about real quick, and then Neil, I'll let you react to these. And, and this is one I think is just sort of almost a fun story as much as anything else. But TJ Antone, he was like the hot thing for the Reds three years ago, made 13 appearances, very strong appearances in 2020 made 23 relief appearances and was good in 2021, has dealt with injury issues nonstop, has not pitched since 2021, came back this year, has thrown 13 minor league innings that were okay, but then came up and has made two appearances on September 2nd, just a couple days ago, a few days ago. He went one inning out of the bullpen, 6.8 points, that's pretty solid. Three batters had a strikeout and a hit allowed. Like that's that's a solid appearance. Then came out as a starter, really as sort of an opener. Went two innings, six up, six down, three strikeouts. Antone has talent. We know he has talent. The question's been his ability to stay on the field. It'll be very interesting to see how the Reds use him. It is unclear to me if he is going to be a an opener consistently, um, at least for now. And then what that will mean for next year. So, you know, Antone is not a guy that I think we're going to consider at all in our head-to-head league because I don't know how they're going to use him. And if he continues to be used as an opener, openers have very low value in in head-to-head auto new leagues because you're limited in the number of starts you have. And a short start just isn't that useful. But I'm interested in him in other areas where, you know, maybe... Maybe you can pick him up and he works his way back into that rotation for next year. And, you know, we'll see how they use him. We'll see what they do with him. But he is he is an interesting, talented arm. And um, given all he's gone through, I'm just sort of I'm hoping for good things for him. Yeah, that's a great, great vibes pick. Um, the Reds pitching has been decimated with injuries. It has been just a complete disaster coming down the stretch here. Obviously a very exciting team from an offensive perspective and really fun players. And they actually had fun pitching prospects too. But I think TJ Antone is a really neat shout because I think the Reds are going to use, they just, they just need arms. Uh, and so they're going to be creative about how they use these guys. Keep an eye on them. Uh, the, anyone who's healthy in the Reds, like pitching set of players, I think they're calling, they called up a prospect for today. Like they're, they're trying a lot of things right now, and it's just because they don't have healthy players right now. A lot of guys have been hurt, unfortunately. So TJ Antone will get a fair shake this month. Definitely worth looking at. When I look at Jordan Wicks, just to go back to him real quick, I see a dude who is 24, but he only just turned 24. He is a college pitcher who has always had good strikeout rates. He was never a top prospect, but he also was in college in 2021 and kind of bounced around in 2022. Like he just hasn't, it's a question of how much he's had a chance to establish himself to be on prospect list sometimes with these guys, but strikeout rate has always been there. Ground ball rate. Like you said, Chad has always been there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's just a sort of one of these guys that all of a sudden 
without really building up a prospect pedigree, which college pitchers can sort of skip that step sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, having a college pitcher that can strike people out uh, in the majors, you can sometimes skip that part where you're the 60th prospect and then the 35th best prospect. You're just all of a sudden a major league pitcher. Um, and it, and Jordan Wicks could follow that mold. And again, like when I look at, at guys like that, when I'm looking at low roster guys that I'm just sort of looking for upside, strikeout rate is a go-to for me in a big way. And obviously ground ball rate, keeping the ball in the field or in the park are the two like most important things. So totally feel you on those picks. I like, I like them. Any other pitchers you wanted to talk about? Um, for me, I think, you know, uh, the, the, those are, those are all really good shouts. Um, there's no one else that I'm like super in love with the way I think about pitching generally and auto new, especially it's hard to find pitchers that aren't popular. Yeah. Once someone's a little effective, he will be sniffed out. So for me, for pitching, I don't, I don't really have anyone else now. Yeah. The one other guy that I think is, is worth mentioning and is Javier Assad with the Cubs who I, I mean, it's a little bit of a weird one. Like he's, he's at 4.48 points per inning this year, which given that he's made 18 relief appearances and only seven starts is a pretty bad number. Um, he is still only about 27% rostered, which that number you know matches to. However, his since he's moved to the rotation on August 5th, he had a very weak start against Atlanta, but like it was against Atlanta. Then he had a 42.4 inning or point start. That'd be a crazy inning start. 42.4 point start over seven innings at Toronto. 23.7 over six innings, which is still solid-ish against the White Sox. Then he had another bad start. Gave up a couple home runs against Detroit. 5.1 innings, 3.87 points. His last two starts, he has gone to combine 15 innings. He struck out 14 hitters. He's walked three. He has not allowed a home run. He's allowed one earned run on 10 hits, and he's put up 104 points over those 15 innings. He has been absolutely incredible over those two starts, including, as I mentioned, 14 strikeouts over 15 innings, which is important because his his ability to get those strikeouts is where he is going to be able to pull in points. And he really hasn't had big strikeout numbers this year. He's striking out 6.93 guys per nine inning and 19.3% strikeout rate. Again, he's made most of his appearances out of the bullpen. And so that kind of a strikeout rate when you're getting a guy who's mostly been out of the bullpen is, is concerning, but Last two starts, he started to show maybe something a little more with those strikeouts. And I, I think as good as he's been over those those two starts, he's at, at least worth taking a look at. Now, it is worth noting that over that six-start stretch that I just read through, um, let's ignore the Atlanta start because who was no one was starting him against Atlanta anyways. But so over these last five starts, he has gone... 33.1 innings. He has a 3.71 FIP, a 4.08 XFIP, and a 1.62 ERA. So he's gotten uh, at least a little bit lucky. He has an almost 90% left on base rate. He's got a 220 BAPIP against. Like there, there is some good luck going his way. But a 3.71 FIP is, is nothing to sneeze at. 
right? It's like you'll take some regression off of that one point six two ERA and still yeah. be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think sort of regardless of format, I've been picking up Assad places and at least starting auctions on him, even if I don't think I'm gonna end up with him. I've got him on three of my seven out of new teams. He's still a free agent in one of those leagues, and I'm I'm looking at him there. Like I would be out there looking at Assad because he's he's been really good. Yeah, I Looking at his whole body of work, and you know, I looked at him a little bit because he's come up for auction a couple times or in a couple different leagues, right? I I'm skeptical of the strikeouts, meaning the strikeouts of the last two starts. Full body of work doesn't really show that as a skill compared to say Jordan Wicks. But there is something to be said about it's September, I'm in the playoffs, I need a starter and ride that hot hand. I can't argue with that part of it. It's less of it's more of a like in the next three weeks move for me, and less of a in the next three weeks plus twenty twenty four move. That, that's the way I would think about it, and that that's valid. I'm not saying that's invalid. It's just not necessarily the way I'd want to. Just just making sure you sense. understand the difference between those two things. That's all. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Right. Let's turn our attention to the offensive side of things. Any any bats that you've seen out there that you're like, oh, this is a guy people should be looking at. Yeah, I you know bat, bats again are like a hard thing. Um, one a, a couple of the guys that I've been tracking are guys who have been really bad and might have been cut a little bit because uh, they haven't performed up to expectation. So sitting right in the, like the sort of high seventies, a little bit higher than I expected, but still dipping is Ahmed Rosario, who you might be able to get for really cheap. Um, and if you play him against lefties, it seems that he has remembered that he mashes lefties in LA. Um, he is, I think, starting. Yeah, he's well, one of the things I noticed right when he got traded to LA is that the Dodgers started batting him fourth against lefties. Guy's been having a horrible season. Hasn't shown any power. Hasn't shown any of the skills that you know he has consistently had in his career up to this point. They're st- they're starting. They have Mookie Betts, they have Freddie Freeman, they're starting Ahmed Rosario uh, batting fourth. And he's responded mostly, like he's been pretty interesting against lefties. Uh, I would take a look at him, especially if he's like just a complete uh, cheap option. And again, it's sort of a hot hand thing. It's not necessarily, it's it's more aligned with the Javier Assad type, like who are you thinking about for riding through the rest of the year versus who you're thinking about rest of the year plus playoffs. For our situation in middle infield, I'm not sure he's a great call because we only need a couple games of middle infield to be backfield anyway, and it's really it's really hopeful to say that he's facing a lefty on those days that we might need right. that fourth middle infielder to step in. But if you need an outfielder, or you know, if you need more infield help than than a fourth or fifth guy, he could be interesting. I mean, I think a lot of guys will. Look, regression to the mean works both directions, right? And if you're way underperforming, sure. you might see some guys with really good Septembers that just are were outliers up to this point. Yeah, and I think you know the the, the point about him hitting lefties brings up a good point about looking ahead in your matchups. Right, we talked about how like this middle infield spot, we know exactly what days we think we're going to need a middle infielder. There might be other days that come up, but we know a couple days where we're probably going to need a middle infielder. We could go look at the Dodgers schedule and see what's going on 
with their probable opponents, right? And now there is some risk here because you you never know when, you know, pitcher rotations move around, stuff like that. But like, if I look, we we were thinking we're going to use Massey on Monday. The Dodgers will be facing the Padres on Monday and the Padres starting pitcher is listed as TBD. They will be facing, they are off on Thursday. So he doesn't even help us with that Thursday. Okay. But if at some point in the next couple of days, it's announced that the Padres are starting a lefty on Monday, we probably should look at Ahmed Rosario it's and see if we can him in there. Yeah, I hope they make right? that decision so, before Saturday, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never know, right? But it's, yeah. it is worth looking. Like, look at your schedules, figure out where you have gaps, and, and spend the time. Like, you can't do this all year. I don't know. Some people probably do. I can't do this all year. But in the playoffs, take time, figure out where it. you might need guys, and go and, and go get them to fill in just that spot where you need them. It's worth it because these margins in the playoffs, like, baseball is a long season, and, you know, you want to ride these trends. But in the playoffs, like, it's – it's extremely high variance, very quick. Things can change in a matter of a couple at bats. So, yeah. So, a bat that I like and is the other side of a platoon. You don't really want him facing lefties. We want to face him righties. Um, less exciting long term. But this guy, before I tell you his name, he is 54.1% rostered. He is a first baseman, which limits you know, the, the, the value a little bit, but he's putting up 5.5 points per game and has a history of being even better than that. And he, like I said, just barely over half of leagues have him rostered. And that's Brandon Belt. I know he's 35 years old and I know he wasn't very good last year, but <laughs> he's been good this year. He's been solid. He's been and, solid the whole time, right? It's not like... Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And so... You know, his last 10 games, he's put up 83.4 points. And that includes an 0 for 1 as a as a pinch hitter a couple days ago. He is he is sick right now, but it's a stomach virus. It doesn't sound like it's a COVID thing. It doesn't sound like, like so he's out, he's been out for a couple days, but he should be back in the lineup soon. And when he's back, like he should be in your lineup against righties. Like he's a he's a good hitter. And so if you need help at first base at Util, if you play in a league with a corner infield spot, like he's not an exciting keeper. I get that. He he'll turn 36 right around opening day next year. I don't think he signed for multiple years in Toronto. So yeah, he'll be a free agent after this season. It's like we don't know where he's playing. We don't know if he's playing. We don't, we don't know what to expect with him. But don't worry about that. You're not picking him up for next year. He's a guy to pick up and slot into your lineup because he can he can hit some home runs. He has decent average. He gets on base at a very high clip. So if you're in nine base leagues, even more reason to go pick him up. Points leagues, like he's just he is a useful guy, and there's really no good reason he's rostered in so few leagues. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the things that's interesting about how when we try to be advanced in how we look at players, these guys that slip through the cracks because of age or because of history. And sometimes you have to accept the numbers that are right in front of you, you know? And one of the guys uh, that I've had in League One uh, sort of kicking around just because his numbers have warranted it is Mike Ford, who is everyone, like, he's hitting well. He's OPSing, you know, League One is a four-by-four. He's OPSing 
over 800. He's hit 15 homers this year. His power is there. Sometimes you just have to accept the premise that 31-year-olds have a weird sort of rejuvenation seasons, and you can accept the premise. He is rostered in less than 1% of auto new leagues, which means it's basically me and one other guy rostering Mike Ford. And sometimes you just have to accept the premise, you know? Like, sometimes it's not... It's like production is production, and you have to just accept that, like, it may come from in a place that it's not necessarily repeatable. It's high variance. I don't know if he's going to show up or not, but he's a useful guy to have if you need, you know, a little bit of help there. Ryan O'Hearn has been another one of those guys for me who I think has rostered a little bit more than that, but extremely being played as a platoon hitter in Baltimore. He's rostered a little bit. O'Hearn, O'Hearn is at 50.32%. Right. So 50, so a little bit more than the 0.64% of Mike Ford, but uh, you know, 50%, like these guys are available and, you know, you look at O'Hearn in the same way you look at Mike Ford, same with LeBelt. These guys are in their 30s. They're on the wrong side of the sort of age curve. They have kind of like n- not the best on-base tool, but the power is there. And you don't know when the power is going to just completely evaporate. But Mike Ford, I had to run him out there yesterday because we had a day off. Detroit had a day off and Torkelson had to hit the bench. And Mike Ford, two for four with a homer. So I'm like, you know what? If, you, if I can catch enough uh, lightning in a bottle with a player like that, as I'm coming down the stretch run, I'm in first place in League One, and I'm trying to hold off a pretty good second place team, a team that's probably on paper a little bit better than my team. Like, you got to get lucky sometimes, and sometimes you just have to accept that you're rostering guys that are, for at least this moment, producing. And, you know, Mike Ford isn't a keeper. Ryan O'Hearn isn't a keeper. But they are guys that you can get for real cheap that, that might just help you out. Yeah. Speaking of old guys who are worth taking a shot at, um, this is a different situation. This is not about trusting the stats so far because he's barely played, but Michael Brantley is back for Houston. And while the first five games have not been particularly great, although he does have a double and a home run in that stretch, he's been worth over five and a quarter points each of the last two years. And there's really no reason to think he won't hit at some point. Um, And so if you're looking for an outfield bat who can help out, like, it doesn't hurt to grab him. So yeah, any any thoughts on Brantley? Yeah, Brantley. I mean, old friend Brantley. Who am I gonna? I'm not gonna argue with that. <laughs> and uh, outfield is nice. You know, O'Hearn has outfield. When you have guys that are first base only, that's like much harder to get them into a successful lineup like uh, that you've already worked out over the course of the year. But Brantley is one of those guys too. We're like not a hundred percent sure he's completely done. So you could get him at a flyer and be pretty and have an interesting choice to make in January in an auto new league, I think. Yeah. So after that, I think that, you know, there's, there's a few more sort of like dart throwy types and I'm going to throw three names out here. One guy has third base eligibility, one first in outfield, one second, third in outfield. So they sort of help you all over the place. Um, the third baseman is Carter Keyboom. He was a, a very popular prospect not that long ago. He has been very solid in 161 AAA plate appearances this year and got off to a fast start in MLB. Um, he hit a home run, I think, in his first his no, not his first game, his first one of his first few games. No, maybe it was his first game. He had a home run in his first game, but he has already now hit uh, three home runs in ten games for for the Nats. He isn't doing a lot else, and so I'm not sure like how how confident I am he's actually good. But like, there's some post hype pedigree and it's another guy that you know he's going to get playing time it's sort of going back to yeah. tj Antone conversation the nats 
traded their third baseman this year. They gave Keyboom some time, and now he's up, and they don't really have any reason not to play him. So they're they're going to run some guys out there, but you at least know you have confidence that he will get that little like you know in the batting order green number next to him. So yeah. And so the other two guys, both of them under 3% rostered. One of them is a guy I've been sort of eyeing a little bit, although he's not a free agent in in the league we are in together, uh, the league that we co-manage. The other is a guy that you you just brought to my attention earlier this episode, um, and I think is sort of interesting. The guy I've been eyeing is Spencer Horowitz for the Jays. He is 2.24% rostered. He put up a very big season in AAA, 7.51 points per game. Um, That is a 143 WRC+. Now he's come up and been hitting in very limited time. Six games, 21 plate appearances. But he is hitting Major League Pitching so far. I I think it's worth noting that at 25 years old, he's a little, you know, he should be mashing AAA, but it doesn't change the fact that he went out and did what he was supposed to do. And if he's going to get a shot to play regularly for the Jays, I, I don't know if he will, right? That's my my big right. concern with him is like, I don't know if he's going to be in the lineup. But if right. he is, he's interesting and has a potential to have to build some future value. Lofton was not as good in AAA. He was still solid, but not as good. But Nick Lofton, the infield yeah. eligibility... Is is really interesting. Yeah, Nick Lofton. Sorry, I guess I didn't say the name. Nick Lofton is the other guy. He's two point eight eight percent rostered. Second base, third base, and outfield eligible. He's he's playing with the Royals, and and as of right now, it looks like the Royals intend to find ways to get him in the lineup. Yeah. Um, we'll see. He's starting at first base today. Today is the fifth that we're recording. He started at third base yesterday. He started at second and then moved to first the day before that. His other start, he started at DH. Like they're just finding places to put him. And again, so far he's he's hitting. It's a lot of BAPIP in his hitting. And so, you know, we'll see if that <laughs> maintains. But he's walking a lot and he's not striking out very much. He has an over 16% walk rate and an 8.3% strikeout rate. And, you know, triple A, he walked nine and a half percent of the time. He struck out only 13.1% of the time, and he had 14 home runs in 82 games. Right. It's like you don't strike out. You walk a lot and you hit some home runs. Like that's a recipe for success. And like I said, he is a dart throw, but he's sort of an interesting dart throw. And I don't know, maybe yeah, we should we, be starting you know, an auction for him. I, I I think you can click that link that I just sent you for sure. Uh, start that auction up. But uh, he, with the rosters expanding, you know, a few days ago, Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells were hyped from the Yankees and, Who's the Met? Mauricio uh, got called over the Mets. All super successful right away. Very exciting. But Nick Lofton was in that group. He also got called up right away. He's also had a pretty nice start to his major league career with the with the expanded roster call up. So I definitely want to keep an eye on him because exactly what you said. Like he is. Well, I, I clicked the button. We, cl- we've we're watching him. So. All right, the button has been <laughs> pressed, everyone. We've made it. We've Buttons done it live. Pressed. But yeah, so. Uh, the, Again, like playing time is such a thing. Like Carter Keyboom, when we were talking about him, Nick Lofton has this benefit that the Royals seem really interested if they're going to bring him up to make sure he plays for the next month. So you'll get an extended tryout. You'll have an idea of what you're looking at ahead of 2024. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so it's a, a list of guys who can help you now, maybe help you for the future. We talked a little bit about sort of how you prepare for this last month of the season. 
Uh, covered a lot of ground, but uh, Niv, thank you so much for, for joining and, and filling in for Pete. I think you, you did so admirably. I hope so. I hope I did Pete well. That was really fun, Chad. Thanks so much. Yeah, so thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. In the California Road Trip Republic, we believe you take adventure for a ride. Whether coastal cruising, mountain motoring, or redwood roaming, discover beauty around every turn. Your California road trip can kick off from anywhere. Starting route. But it should always start at visitcalifornia.com. Then buckle up, crank those tunes, and ride with us in the California Road Trip Republic. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list. Teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, Kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.